Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to episode number 61. Wow, it's been an interesting few weeks. Early May was when I decided to release a new podcast every single day and be consistent about it. So I've been recording a lot of podcasts recently so that I can make sure that a new podcast gets released every single day and thoroughly enjoying it. But for this particular podcast, it's a solo episode. I wanted to focus on 11 lessons from my first 60 podcasts. I'm sure there's more, but I've whittled it down to 11. But let's get started. Lesson number one, the impact of teachers. One of the questions I ask all my guests at the beginning to kind of understand their early influences is who do they think had the biggest influence or impact on them while growing up? And a lot of people naturally will answer one of their parents or both, but an answer that consistently creeps in enough to recognize it is the impact of teachers. So I'm going to play a clip from Adam Coleman, the CEO of HR Locker. He's one of many who talk about the impact of teachers, but I'm playing this one right now. Who do you think, you've alluded to duck shooting with your father, but who do you think had the biggest impact on you when you were growing up? Uh, at a young age, I had a national school teacher called Jerry McHugh, who came from Tume originally, actually. And I think it was probably his first or second job directly out of St. Pat's. And he, his way of teaching was unorthodox but fun, right? Um, and he's he was likely to jump up on a, on a table and scream, but in a nice way, not in a bad way, you know, yeah. to get the enthusiasm. And he also basically, my na the national school I went to at the time, we were quite a sporty area, but there was nobody organizing school teams and stuff. So um, I ended up being his captain of the soccer team, which we, we got to the, the, the Connacht final in... Um, uh for community games and then we actually got beaten by my original team which was Redmore and Galway which was in an extra time so so that would have been quite quite exciting as well I'm the same as Adam um I had a French teacher in first and second year of secondary school that I wasn't a big fan of we didn't really get on and therefore I wasn't a fan of French and was failing a lot if not just scraping the pass however Throughout third year, at some point in third year, I had a replacement and a new French teacher joined. I was a huge fan of the way this guy taught French and everything about him. And it changed my interest in the language. Subsequently, in my junior year, I went from potentially failing, if not just scraping a pass, to getting a B. Fast forward several years later, I still remember this teacher. But I also had the opportunity in college to go on Erasmus with a number of locations on the table. France was one of them, and I jumped at the opportunity to live there. But if you rewind to a Rean who started in first or second year and gave him the option to drop French, never look at the language again, um, I would never think that uh, 12 months after that, I'd have fallen in love with the language. And seven or eight years after that, I'd have moved to the country and fallen in love with the country of France. I spent six months living in Angers. So that's lesson one. 
Lesson number two is gaining experience by working for others while getting paid to do that. What I mean by that is there's a lot of pros and cons to working for yourself at an early age. Uh, we hear of a lot of famous and successful founders who started their businesses in a garage or at university, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos. Um, but these are not really the norm. Most business founders are actually 35 years old or older. Now I say this while I'm 27, 28 this month and I have never had a corporate job in my life. Throughout college I worked in a nightclub scene and worked in a couple of bars and I moved to Australia and worked in bars but as a corporate job I've never had a corporate job. I've always worked for myself. So starting a business in your 20s, probably the safest time to take a risk. Less likely to have dependents, mortgages, lots of other obligations. So there's definitely some successful business owners who've launched business in their 20s. One example that comes straight to my mind is Stephen Bartlett, the founder of Social Chain. Sold that last year for several hundred million. However, if you look at the evidence, middle-aged founders are two to three times more likely to succeed than those in their 20s. According to US Census data from 2015, 53% of businesses that are 6 to 10 years old were started by founders with an average age of 36. If you use the stat for those in their 20, 4.8% of businesses that were 6 to eight, six to 10 years old were started by those in their 20s. Featured dead last on that list. So the lesson from lesson number two is that you can actually gain a ton of experience while getting paid for working for others and then starting a business later in life. Lesson number three. People don't remember what you asked them, but they do remember how you made them feel. There's tons of evidence to back this up, but I felt like this definitely deserved uh, one of the 11 places. One of the things going into starting this podcast, or certainly around episode 10, when I changed the format of it, was I wanted to understand the person behind the brand or business subsequently knowing more about the brand and business from asking questions about the person but the primary goal is to understand the person behind the brand or business early influences challenges pivotal moments so with that i get a lot of people recognizing the research i've done i'll do five or six hours of research for each podcast diving into the person um and whether it's online paying a compliment or afterwards, I'll say 75% of people will recognize that I've done a, done my homework and done a lot of research and don't make them sound like a parrot. Um, they certainly remember how I made them feel. And when I go and ask for introductions, weeks, months later, they're more than happy to do that. In fact, they'll start a conversation with me about life in general. Um, and they, they do remember how you made them feel. So keep that in mind. Number four, you want to retain your employees, you should invest in them. I want to play a particular clip in a second from one of my guests, Rena Maycock. Uh, she wrote a great article for The Currency, which I think is titled The Missing Element on a Balance Sheet is People, but I'll leave a link to it below. The reason why I want to uh, include this as a point is LinkedIn uh, came out with a stat that says 94% of employees would stay at a company longer if they simply invested in helping them learn. I see a lot of the big tech companies taking over and taking a big chunk of the talent pool which makes this an issue for a lot of indigenous companies but uh rena was not a fan of investing in employees she actually thought that that caused a lot of headaches but she since changed her mind and i want to play this clip 
uh, it, I don't think it's enough to simply throw cash at people as a way of retention or solving the problem of retention. So check this out. I'd regret it if I didn't ask this. Uh, you wrote an article for the currency once and you were talking about how a quote struck you. And I'm reading the quote here. It was, the missing element on a balance sheet is people. Mm. Uh, and you said, in your previous world of radio, if an employee wanted to upscale, it meant problems or extra costs. Yeah. Now in tech, taking into consideration a study by LinkedIn that said 94% of employees say that they would stay at a company longer if they simply invested in helping them learn um, what would you say to someone if uh, they owned a company and uh, an employee came to that employer and said, I want to invest in myself, or the employer was looking to invest in people? What would you say to them now? Yeah, that, that quote was given to me by Dave Feenan from Skillsnet. And he's, he's, a, he's a very accomplished guy around the benefits of upskilling your staff. So, I mean, retention has become one of those very hot topics that I'm involved in IBEC. I'm on the tech HR forum in there. And in there, you're getting to rub shoulders with the HR directors of the biggest of big tech companies. And up until 20 years ago, employee retention was achieved with one thing, and that was money. You know, benefits didn't really kind of come into it. Yeah, you'd get your health care or whatever, but ultimately that's just money, right? And then since big tech started to take over and suck up all the skill from the economy and from the pool of talent, retention became a much bigger deal. And, you know, it's, it's a really big issue for indigenous companies like ours and other big, you know, even indigenous tech companies, even ex extremely successful ones. You need to be on top of your game when it comes to giving your, having really good insight into what your employees want. And constant training and continuous professional development, even for, you know, the the impression of options of getting better at something and it's everybody knows when they're in their job that they're getting better at it and they're becoming more efficient at it but it's very easy to forget about those people that are really brilliant at their job because all of a sudden one day they hand in their notice because they haven't been challenged you know the, you you really appreciate them because they're amazing at, your, at their job but you're really hoping they don't move on but that there's a real change in mindset that you have to have because you might have somebody that's brilliant at their job for three years but you're better off promoting them at their their professional development into a different role and accept the fact that they do need different roles and that you'll have to replace them ultimately because either you do that and you get the benefit of that really amazing employee in a different role in a better role or else they leave the company altogether and a part of that is continuous professional development through training you know there's linda courses and things like that through through linkedin it doesn't have to cost a fortune now i mean you know the the <clears throat> The training du jour is, I suppose, doing a, a master's or like an MBA or that kind of thing. MBAs, I have my own view about MB, MBAs. Um, I, I don't think they're amazing. I think some are better than others. But general anecdotal feedback is that, you know, the learning benefits from them are quite small, whereas it's just, it, you know, the line on the CV, you know, I have done this is, is what people kind of go for. Number five, entrepreneurs understand the struggle. Struggle. They've gone through it and dealt with pushbacks and are very open to introducing you to others. Two guests I want to talk about here. Devin Hughes, uh, if you're looking at financial and rating businesses, whether a successful or failure on their finances, he had a couple of failures early on. 
notice I just said finances, but there's a ton of experience you gain from starting a business other than just finances. I actually ended up working at Salesforce as an account executive to make some money before he started his latest business, which is a huge success, recently launched in Galway and Limerick. It is by me. I'll leave a link to that below. But Devin Hughes talks about the early struggles and dealing with that, but that he continued to push through it. Uh, and he is one of the people who's very open to introducing you to others. Incredibly nice human being. Check this out. Your own insecurity is your primary reason for hate. Um, and you know, you see it in the comments section of any social media platform. Um, it's 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 incredibly clear that you know the, the loudest people are the people who feel the most insecure about what they're doing in their own lives. Um, and at that for me, you know, you referenced a quite a, a pivotal, a pivotal time for me. Um, you know, I'd I'd come off the back of three failed businesses. I had taken a break, a sabbatical, as I called it, um, from from startups because I needed to, I needed to recover mentally, emotionally, and spiritually from from coming out. You know, three three failures in a row was quite tough. You know, and I was I was waiting tables, and serving burgers and chips in the Hard Rock Cafe, to pay my bills, um, and I got went off and decided to get a real job, and I was taking a break, um, but in reality I was burnt out, um, and I you know and and. I had spent my you know previous years straight out of college building trying to build businesses with Garrett, um, and you know when we went our separate ways, um, we did so because we were sick of each other to a certain extent. You know, not that we didn't appreciate or like each other, but we were living in each other's ears. We were both strong personalities. We were both, you know, um, I would say both CEOs. You know, uh, in terms of our demeanor and 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 ambitions, and that doesn't necessarily blend well uh, when you're trying to build a cohesive team, but. You know, we, we went our separate ways. Garrett went straight into his next venture, which was Crust Bakery. And I decided to take a break from startups because I wanted to go and see what was I not getting right. You know, I wanted to see what, a, what an established business looked like and see if I could learn uh, something different that I could take into, into a future venture. I never knew. I never knew, I didn't know at that time whether I would ever go back to startups. Yeah. In that time. Sorry. And just maybe to close that thought. But in that time, I had Garrett constantly poking me. You know, saying, when are you, when are you going to come back and start start a business? I, he would ring me and say this to me. And then I would go onto my Facebook feed and I'd see the latest, you know, Irish Times article about Garrett launching the first, you know, digital bakery in the world. And, you know, having the tea shop come in to shake his hand and tell him how great he was. And, you know, for me, sitting in my office, doing my nine to five, working for somebody else, not really doing what I was, you know, excited or wanted to be doing. And um, I found myself going down um, into, a, into a not so not so great place. And I did want to, I did get to a point where I wanted to mute Garrett. I wanted to take his, 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 I didn't want to delete him as a friend, but I, I just mm. didn't want to see him, you know, um, so much. I didn't want to, I didn't want to see his success because it would make me feel bad about myself. Um, and when I, when I recognized that feeling, um, it was quite, it was, I remember because it was quite a visceral moment where I was like, wow, I, I'm actually not happy for my friend. I, I, I don't want to see like that when you really just frame it like that, you know, whether it's a stranger, I'm just not happy for someone else. Um, and that to me felt like that probably wasn't that if I wanted to go down that road and that path, it probably wasn't going to bring me to the place that I wanted to be in the long run. And so what I started doing was just liking and sharing um, whether I wanted to or not, I would like and share. And my thesis here was that it was almost it was a, a, an approach. Of, I don't know if you've ever heard the term neural plasticity, um, which is everything that we do, our entire personality and, and habits are all built on neural pathways. And the more you repeat an activity over and over again, you create neural pathways and then you have a, basically an automatic firing of the neurons in your brain, which is why it becomes easier to do things. 
um, after you practice. It's neural. So your brain is, has plasticity to it. You can carve out, break habits, carve new tasks, new skills by just driving these pathways. So for me, the liking and the sharing was me forcing a neural pathway yeah. um, over and over again. And I would do this on a daily and weekly basis. Garrett shares a lot. And I'd have no, no shortage of content to, to like and share. But what happened after you know three or four months or so, maybe less, um, is I actually started to feel like I was sharing in a success. And I started to become really proud of him. Um, and I started to be you know, um, um, inspired by what he was doing. Um, and once, once I overcame that, that, that begrudgery, um, all of a sudden, just a whole new, a whole new world up, opened up and a whole new feeling within myself. Um, and I was, and myself and Garrett have been, you know, been building each other up and, and pushing each other on for, for the best part of a, a little over a decade now. And the second one, Charlie Gleason. Reason why I wanted to include him here, he talks about how patience is key and that from business plan to generating revenue, it took 625 days having dealt with and continuing to deal with a lot of pushbacks, but continues to push through it. Number six, the best surround themselves with other greats. Uh, the example I want to include here is, uh, I'm part of a group called Magnate 100, which is 100 other entrepreneurs, business leaders, founders, owners, CEOs, managing directors across Ireland, that meet up once a month, share ideas, come with problems, everyone chips in of how they deal with it, give introductions, referrals, and I could point to several other groups or non-formal uh, groups that just form on WhatsApp of those that are at the top of their game. You'll find that they surround themselves with others who are at the top of their game. Go on to Instagram, check any of the top entrepreneurs in Ireland, and I would be willing to put a large sum of money that you'll find other pictures of entrepreneurs who are as successful featuring on their feed take what you will from that but number seven the importance of networking a lot a lot of the guests that come on the podcast i'm gonna hazard this is episode 61 i've had 60 episodes uh, 56 of them have been with guests the other four have been solo i'm gonna hazard that about 50 of them have talked about the importance of networking and how it is one of the most important things for building their black book of contacts subsequently helps build their business and add revenue to their pipeline i want to play a particular clip from james mccormick the founder of dublin bursa school where he says it's the most important thing he has done to get clarity on his vision on your instagram i see a ton of familiar faces some that i don't even know as well but it's safe to say that you network a lot for those that um might not believe in the power of networking or might be uh, skeptical concerned can you take 30 seconds 60 seconds to tell them why they should consider networking and how it's paid off for you very very simply it's the number one thing that has changed the my dynamic as an individual and the the dynamic of my company um absolutely it's it's probably the most important thing that i've done to get clarity about my vision and to help me grow at the speed that I'm growing now as, a, as, as, a, as an individual and as a person, because networking, um, you're getting other people's opinions and especially in, in the Irish um, network, people are very open and they're happy to share stuff with you. And uh, uh, as aside from networking, I've made some amazing friends. Um, like you mentioned Gary Fox earlier, Gary Fox is one of my great friends now, do you know, and I've known him for two mm. years. 
And that was all stemming from network. And I can call Gary up or if I have something I'm uncertain about, I'll just drop him a text. And he's a great person. I can bounce stuff off. And, you know, other guys you've interviewed, Devin Hughes and uh, Garrett Flower. And, you know, all, all, all these guys are brilliant um, guys to just uh, be able to talk to on a, on a, on a basic level. Um, but if you're not doing it, um, you have to start doing it. And it's as simple as dropping someone an email or a DM on Instagram or whatever, um, joining a group of some degree. Um, yeah. But it's, uh, it's been massively influential for me. Number eight, it's increased my confidence and I've become a better communicator. Uh, not sure where to start with this one, but at the very start of the podcast, the reason the podcast was founded was actually because we were thinking of running a course for business owners and i'd been through a course called leadership for organizational excellence i wanted to bring on other founders to talk through uh, one of in this course there's 13 blind spots that can hold back an otherwise healthy business and i wanted to talk to entrepreneurs founders ceos managing directors and focus on three to four of these blind spots and how they've tackled them and build up an audience and then run that program um however about episode eight or nine i changed i switched and i just focused on understanding the person behind the brand getting them to tell their story and i fell in love with the podcast it was a guest nima samani he is a guy that i've gotten to know very well really nice guy based in washington dc um he was coming on the podcast and i didn't do any prep on any of the 13 blind spots didn't send him anything in advance just did a lot of research on the guy and had a genuinely good chat with him and he paid me a compliment afterwards that changed the direction of the podcast completely and throughout each podcast that i do i built my network of connections increasing my confidence and getting much better at recording these podcasts not having to do double takes triple takes um and um viewing every human as a human not worrying about someone's status or what company they've been the founder of you know i've had some people that have been the founders of some of the largest companies in ireland and the uk and uh, i just view them as another human so definitely increase my confidence and in terms of becoming a better communicator uh, i it forces me to write a lot and with writing uh, i can express my thoughts and think and when i think um, i become a better communicator so lesson number eight increased my confidence and i become a better communicator lesson number nine when faced with a crisis this is where entrepreneurs thrive and adapt i want to highlight one particular guest kenneth carroll the founder of carroll food services who in 2009 2010 got hit with uh, a huge blow to the business and again in 2020 with the coronavirus got hit with another blow to the business but in a crisis he adapted and has continued to thrive lesson number 10 impact and change one of the podcast one of the questions i end all my podcasts with is what continues to drive you and 70 percent of the guests will answer with either impact they can leave or the change that they're making lesson number 11 
This is an interesting one. Another one of the final questions I ask guests is if their house was burning down, all their loved ones were safe, but they could only save one item, what one item would that be? The far majority of people, not all, but the far majority of people would save their laptop or mobile phone if their house was burning down. That's it. 11 lessons from my first 60 podcasts. I look forward to continuing releasing daily podcasts. It's a real pleasure. Um, If you know of anyone who you think could potentially make a good guest, entrepreneur, CEO, MD, founder, owner, co-owner, co-founder, please introduce them to me. Uh, As I said, to have five podcasts released every single week, I usually have to schedule somewhere between eight to nine podcasts. This is actually something that I'm focused on at the moment is rewriting my pitch to get guests on because um, I've noticed that a lot of, it's not a priority of theirs and rightly so, you know, they're running a business, but I've noticed a lot of guests might not know that I put five to six hours of research into this and this is my full-time thing. I'm doing this 40 to 50 hours a week uh, and not getting paid for it. So I am trying to rewrite my pitch so that the guests can understand what's the value in them coming on rather than me talking about here's what I feature in the chart, here are previous guests because I really don't think guests or potential guests care about that. Um, But I also want to let them know in advance of the podcast because as I said, I'm having to schedule eight to 10 a week because a lot of people postpone. Some people have canceled and I've done hours of research and I haven't got them back on. Um, So I want to make sure that they know that, hey, look, I'm putting a lot of effort into recording this podcast. I'm putting you in front of the audience, but I'm also making sure that I'm putting the five to six hours of research into this. So um, I'd love to be able to get that stat down, something I want to measure for June and July. As I'm uh, recording this, my next task is going to be rewriting my pitch to get guests on, but I'd love to measure that of, uh, to be at a point where I now schedule eight to 10 guests and get five to six episodes a week done. I'd love to be the point where I schedule, you know, six to seven guests and get five to six episodes a week done. But thank you for listening to this episode. And I'll be back tomorrow with episode number 62. And it will be an interview with another interesting entrepreneur. But for now, take care and have a great week.